an EV powered by one of these batteries would just, it, it would be night and day compared to your average lithium battery pack. It would charge in a minute or less, so faster than you can pump gasoline. Um, it'll last thousands of uh, charge uh, discharge cycles, and it'll have something like two to three times the, the, the charge capacity. So we're talking about um, a battery that will last more than a million miles, It'll likely outlast every other key component of the car. So, sure, I was going to say at that point, does it even really matter? Like, no, it, it's. I mean, you'll be re, it, it, you'll you'll run your Tesla into the ground. The battery will still likely be resellable if if everything that they promise, yep. you know, comes to fruition. Welcome to the, the Angel Research Podcast. We're here as usual today to discuss the market's hottest uh, stock stories and investment opportunities. We've got Mr. Alex Koifman with us today. Alex is the founder and investment director of the weekly market advisory service, Microcap Insider. And uh, we're going to talk about some of his uh, favorite investment opportunities in that space, as well as uh, the topic of investing in private placements. All right. Usual disclaimer, nothing that we say here today is personal financial advice. Like, comment, subscribe, join the Discord in the link below. Muno, remember the, remember the link this time. Uh, Koifman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You want to give us a quick rundown of who you are, what your, uh, what your services are all about? Okay. Um, well, you already know my name. So uh, the services are generally aimed at uh, small development stage companies, either public or private. And uh, we like to focus on new merging technologies, um, anything that's foreseen in the next 10 years is, is to be part of some emerging trend. So we have batteries, we have electric motors. Uh, it's primarily technological in nature. Uh, we don't do too many mining stocks or anything like that, even though there are plenty that are Vancouver-based. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's emerging technological trends, I would say, is the quickest way to summarize that. And are you, so you, you run Microcap Insider, uh, that's where you're talking about like publicly traded stocks, right? Correct. And then are you still running First Call? Yes. Okay. And what, what First Call? every week. First Call is specifically for <laughs> private placements. So. Right. And so private placements, uh, just a quick rundown of that. That's usually for high, high net worth investors, uh, people who qualify as accredited investors, which means you need to either have a million dollars liquid net worth or you need to be making... Either two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. I know it's two hundred thousand dollars a year if you're single. Three hundred thousand dollars a year if you're married for the previous two years. So uh, these are much higher risk, much higher reward kind of plays. You uh, you know you do paperwork. You send a, a wire transfer and then you wait for between six months and a couple of years and then hopefully the stock goes public, becomes liquid, and then you sell out. So that's. That's the idea behind that. You're, it's the smart money. How have private placements been uh, been doing lately? Or at least, I guess, maybe what's like the, what's the deal flow been like? I know that you kind of mentioned that. Yeah, deal slowed. flow has been kind of weak, I would say, over the last probably six to eight months. Uh, ever since uh, the end of last summer, it's definitely dropped off. Um, I've seen some activity um, in oil and gas, and I've seen some activity in biotech. I think both of those, to a certain extent, are kind of recession-proof. Yeah, but uh, that makes sense. 
Yeah, but uh, the most uh, the most common types of deals prior to that were were resource deals. Again, going back to the Vancouver uh, mining companies, those used to be a dime a dozen, and those have, uh, at least for me, they pretty much dropped off the radar entirely. I think what's going on is companies are waiting for a better time to essentially get ready to go public. They want to go public at a higher valuation. So they're trying to wait out this um, this cold period in the economy so that investors cash out more. How do you uh, differentiate between the... Uh the snaky, sleazy Vancouver guys and the and the ones that are legit. Uh, well, for me, you know, this is this has been like a decade and a half journey already. So for me, uh, the differentiation at this point is pretty simple. I just stay away from the mining stocks. Yeah, uh, mining stocks are. It's at best you can judge by the reputation of the people involved, and of course, many of them are legit. But uh, there's often very little infrastructure and very little uh, actual assets that you can evaluate on a on a on an objective level. With technological companies, uh, there are patents. You know, there are production facilities. There are employees. It's not just paperwork and geological reports. So uh, I just I just kind of broad stroke and stay away from the stuff that I have little understanding of and where there's a lot of pitfalls like that. Are there any private placements that you're like specifically interested in right now? Um, right now, um, right now, I would say me personally, I'm very interested in biotech stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason is I think that we're, we're kind of approaching somewhat of a technological uh, singularity with biotech specifically. I think that we're going to have an explosion of new technologies and new opportunities in the next five to 10 years. And I think we're just kind of starting to enter that pattern. And for me, this obviously is the best time to get in it's before before it actually begins. Do you know anything about like AI drug development or anything like that? I've, I've heard a little bit about that. And that obviously is incredibly exciting. I don't know uh, what the viability is. I'm not a chemical engineer, unfortunately. And uh, I can't say for sure what it is or where it's going to go. But based on the progression of the technology in other sectors, I think that um, computer-aided medical uh, development is for sure going to be huge. In the next 10 to 15 years, you're probably going to see just, you know, quantum leaps in all sorts of... (coughs) All sorts of uh, sides of that market. Yeah, it's pretty interesting on the development side and also just even the diagnostic side. I know that there's a lot of uh, kind of programs out there that are, you know, outperforming medical doctors. You know, right? I mean, but, um, medical doctors that that work in certain fields, you know, they they just you know they they draw from their education, their experience, and the data sets. And uh, when you have a computer that can, you know take into account a thousand times the volume of data, you, it's kind of hard to compete, right? So, you know, I think that's probably where, where we're headed. And based on my recent experiences in the medical industry, I'm, I'm kind of uh, all for that, you know. Because you feel like people are, are incompetent often? or uh, So I come from a family of doctors. Both, my, both of my parents were medical doctors. And uh, so obviously I have bias towards the field, but I think that the – the practice of intuitive uh, wisdom-driven medicine is kind of ending. I yep. mean, we 
You know, we took our uh, 18-month-old for his uh, regular checkup yesterday, and it was basically I was talking to a chart generator. You know, the the doctor just looks at charts, looks at uh, answers to questions that I gave, and makes a determination based on algorithms already. So why even bother having the middleman there, you know? Yeah, I had some uh, some nerve issue like a couple of years ago, and I went and I kind of just like wikipedia like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I Googled what it could possibly be, and I just went, and all the doctor was there to do was confirm and write the prescription. Sure, so. and, and I've been there before, and, you know, it's it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Uh, in, in the days that I used to follow my dad around the hospital, when he was doing his rounds, it really was an art form, you know, and an art form is obviously it's, it's imprecise a lot of the time, but when there, there's something about human intuition and practice that, that did make it a viable profession, and I think that they're really, really moving away from that and into the sort of the mechanized version of that. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe Google will be the best doctor in the. They're in just the going to stick years. us in like a machine one day, and it's going to draw hey, draw our blood, works. take take some samples, and sure, and do surgery on you too. Yeah. Um, you know, if it works, it works. It's scary, but also exciting. You know, uh, I mean, what, what's scary about it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, live longer? I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's it's interesting because, you know, the I think that, like, you know, medical malpractice is actually, by humans, is a huge cause of death. Sure. And, but for some reason, it's like, naturally, I would trust a human more than I would trust a, a machine all of those, doing it all. The, doing mal, it all the malpractice data, and again, this, this comes from decades of, of living around doctors and kind of dealing with the specter of malpractice. Um, yes, a lot of people die uh, due to physician hospital mistakes. How many people would die if those services weren't available at all? Yeah, so, that's true. You, know, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Uh, every time you enter the hospital, you're, there's a risk of infection. Uh, a certain number of surgeries, no matter how well it goes, will end in life-threatening infection. It just happens. And I don't know if computers or robots are ever going to cure that problem, but you know, if they become precise down to the molecular level, then you know, maybe they'll minimize it. So. Looking forward to it. I don't think the human element will ever leave. You know, just like uh, you, you were talking about uh, the chat program earlier, you, you still need to prompt the computer to do something. And yeah. Maybe the art form will be in the prompting. So oh, it will be, definitely. I know that prompt, like prompt engineer is becoming a pretty big, uh, <clears throat> like, you know, in-demand job out there right now. Yeah, which itself is like, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good prompt engineer already. And yeah. all I've done... I think there's that- a little more to it than, than just communicating with it, but... Uh, but yeah, I, f- I feel like you know I'm pretty skilled at it as well, and you've you've put out some pretty hilarious. Uh, oh yeah, poems and songs, yeah. and sonnets that I've written. But just to bring it, for everyone that's watching in the loop, we we're talking about Chat ChatGPT. Right, right. Uh, so um, maybe th- I feel like that deserves like a full-on podcast discussion for another yeah, day. Yeah, we probably shouldn't go too deep into it. So uh, I just want to move on from you know we started talking about the the private markets and, and private placements. Want to move on to the public markets okay. and some investment opportunities that you've been talking about there. We'll start with Tesla. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, I guess it's a related investment opportunity with Tesla. So you kind of have been writing about the company's stock rally since the start of the year. Uh, but you're kind of, I, I feel like you've been questioning whether or not it's sustainable, whether or not it is sustainable, and you are, you think that there are kind of headwinds that Tesla is facing that open up opportunities opens up opportunity for sure. another. Uh, yes, there know. are many headwinds. Um, as far as the sustainability, so uh, at the turn of the new year, Tesla was trading 
at a at a like multi-year low, right, or something like that. It was like yeah. close to 100 bucks. So it's doubled since then and then pulled back a little bit. I uh, just looking at this thing objectively. I mean, Tesla produces 1.37 million cars per year. Toyota produces 10.5 million cars, and Toyota is one third the size of Tesla. They uh, Toyota out revenues Tesla by factor three and out profits Tesla on top of that. And still the valuation is like, and this is after they've dropped half of their market capitalization. Yeah. So how is that? I don't understand how that's sustainable. I just don't get it. And I think that this may flow into a later topic that we're going to touch on. Um, it's just, uh, it's trading by emotion and uh, trading by trend. I think that, that that's what's carrying it. They have um, an incredibly popular front man who, you know, I don't even know what he does for a living anymore. You is know, he, he's, I feel like he's decreasingly, he's losing popularity or he's like. Yeah, I mean, you know, the people are getting sick of him, I think, is the bottom yeah. line. I mean, I, I, I don't know what kind of mindset he's in because he's on a godlike level compared to the rest of us. But um, he was probably their most valuable asset. And then, you know, he's now he's managing Twitter. SpaceX, I think, is probably his passion project, and he's still a CEO of Tesla. And I just don't get it. You know, like they, where's the, why is it three times bigger than the next biggest car company in the world that's making arguably better cars at eight times the pace? Yeah, I think people will argue that they're, is some sort of like grand plan for Tesla and they're combined. It's they're not really a car company. They're just a battery company. Uh, but they're buying and, batteries from the Chinese. Yeah, I, that's I'm not I'm not saying it's a legitimate argument. I just I'm just I think that that is people think that he, he's going to combine the solar and the and the you know the home batteries. But those that those aspects of the business have been around for uh, like a decade at this point. Yeah. And and they're not they don't contribute anything substantial. So at the end of the day. I think, you know, you and I probably agree on this. Tesla is just a car company that shouldn't be valued at the price yeah, that yeah, it, it is shouldn't. valued. I mean, it's hopes and dreams, I guess. It's powered by hopes and dreams. And uh, like I was saying earlier, I don't – I guess I'm already part of the generation that doesn't really invest like that anymore. You know? yeah. I, I have no fear of missing out on Tesla. I, I don't, I'm not attached to their products. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of their lead singer. And uh, – I just I don't I don't get where the value is, but you know if if you had bought it two hundred bucks a couple of years back, you would have doubled your money before it fell. So maybe I don't know anything. I think you know a few things. Maybe uh, one thing you've been writing about lately has been the uh, you know lithium fires. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that and then maybe kind of talk about alternatives to you know lithium batteries? Okay, so yeah, lithium battery fires uh, that that is a thing. Uh, Airlines have been limiting uh, how many fully charged batteries you can take on board. I don't actually think you can take any fully charged batteries that aren't attached to, like plugged into a device on, on board an airplane anymore. And so clearly there's an issue. Uh, clearly they have identified a risk. Uh, there's on average one, battery, one lithium battery fire in New York per week. And uh, it's mostly from e-bikes. The reason it's mostly from e-bikes is because they use relatively large, often recycled batteries. And when they're recycled in unregulated ways, you get, uh, you get failures, and the failure usually results in a fire. 
The lithium battery itself is just by design predisposed to catching fire. It contains a liquid uh, organic compound solvent as, as part of its electrolyte. I'm saying all these words. I don't entirely know what, I, what these things do. <laughs> but the point is it's high, high, vol high concentration of oxygen and high concentration of organic uh, solvent. And then if you introduce high temperature, it's, it's basically a time bomb waiting yeah. to go off. And so um, this happens usually when the battery's older and the cells start to, start to fail. If you notice, if, you have, if you've had the same phone for more than a couple of years, it tends to get really hot when you charge it. So that's kind of the <coughs> process right there. It's, it's the way that lithium-ion batteries are built today, those fires are not, if we continue building them the way that we are, the, the fires are going to remain an issue. How often does it happen? It's not too often. It's a relatively negligible problem, I think, in the long run. I mean, New York City, with these e-bikes, um, even if every fire in New York was caused by an e-bike, there are 25,000 of them in the city. And so, you know, it's, it's 50 per year. Sure. And so it's not, it's not a huge risk. But the point is, lithium-ion batteries are unstable. They don't have uh, very long lives. It's only a couple of hundred charge-discharge cycles before they start to lose performance substantially. Lithium is hard to source. It's politically troublesome. We usually have to buy it from uh, countries that aren't super friendly with us, namely the Chinese again. And so uh, there are just a lot of issues with, with that moving forward. It's, it was a great thing um, when 30 years ago when the rechargeable battery revolution began. The, you know, it was, it, was, it was awesome for Sony back in 1991 when they uh, released the first commercially available lithium-ion battery. But, you know, 30 years have gone by, and this is the 21st century, and we don't have a replacement that's, like, you know, pushing it out of the market yet. So, yes, uh, probably something needs to be done, and it needs to be a quantum leap over what we already have. So it needs to charge faster. It needs to be more stable. It needs to have a longer lifespan. And uh, it needs to hold more charge. And so one of the things that I've been writing about is uh, graphene ion batteries. And graphene ion batteries, they don't, they don't have any of these shortcomings that lithium does. They have actually, in testing, they've been uh, shot at by rifles and still continue to put out charge, whereas a lithium battery would probably just explode if you did that. So uh, graphene, in my mind, is um, a very, very high potential successor. Whether or not it happens, we'll see, because uh, it's going to require a lot of investment, uh, probably hundreds of billions of dollars from multiple sources. And in the modern corporate world, you know, they usually take the cheapest, quickest way out. And so I just, I don't know if it's going to happen, but there are companies out there tempting it. So. Okay. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's talk about that in terms of like scalability, because I've, I've been hearing about graphene for years. And I think most people who understand, you know, graphene, they understand that it is, it is kind of the super material uh, that would outperform lithium in, in so many different respects. But is it, can we actually produce it at a scale that is economically viable and then maybe... I mean, what are these companies doing that could potentially change that, that could potentially get us to that point? So the answer would have been no just uh, up until a couple of years ago. It wouldn't have been economically viable. Uh, the cost of uh, graphene production just in the middle of the last decade was something like $3,200 per ounce. So we're talking twice the cost of gold. And that's it just prices itself out of the market. But uh, there is a company in Australia right now that's producing very high-quality lithium using, or, I'm sorry, a very high quality graphene using nothing but natural gas and electricity. They do it completely in-house and it's orders of magnitude cheaper. And they actually are producing the first graphene ion batteries 
right now. They're uh, producing commercial versions of it already, and uh, they're sending it out to potential corporate clients for testing and evaluation. And uh, if it works out, hopefully they will get contracts from, from major consumer brands, and you're going to start seeing them in phones. You're going to start seeing them in household devices. Um, eventually, the holy grail would be EVs. And an EV powered by one of these batteries would just, it, it would be night and day compared to your average lithium battery pack. It would charge in a minute or less, so faster than you can pump gasoline. Um, it'll last thousands of uh, charge uh, discharge cycles, and it'll have something like two to three times the, the, the charge capacity. So we're talking about um, a battery that will last more than a million miles. It'll likely outlast every other key component of the car. So, sure, I was going to say at that point, does it even really matter? Like, no, it, it's. I mean, you'll be re, it, it, you'll you'll run your Tesla into the ground. The battery will still likely be resellable if if everything that they promise, yep. you know, comes to fruition. Okay. Uh, while we're on the topic of fuel sources, what about ammonia? Ammonia. Okay. So uh, that's. Um, Right now, green ammonia uh, as a fuel source uh, is being seriously considered by the heavy shipping industry as a replacement for bio or for marine diesel, which has been the standard for probably a hundred years now. And so, it's a zero zero carbon footprint. The only emissions are water vapor and a little bit of nitrogen. And uh, with the new ammonia production process that has recently been introduced by a couple of companies. They can actually make this fuel on board the ship using nothing but water, air, and electricity. So they can produce the fuel, then they can feed it into an engine that's not much different from the engine they already have running on diesel. And then that engine charges batteries, and it usually runs off of an electric motor anyway. So they can produce the fuel on board. If they, have, if they produce too much fuel, they can turn it back into electricity just using a generator. So that is a kind of a test market for the technology. If it's widely adopted, potentially, you know, pie in the sky type of thing, you could have cars running off this thing. And so, you know, ammonia is, uh, it's clean in production and it's clean in, in usage. It doesn't, there's almost zero carbon footprint at every step of the way. So it's a potential, uh, I think it's a potential competitor for, to, to the EV industry. Okay, and do you have any investment opportunities that you're eyeing in this space, or? Yeah, we do. Uh, Microcap Insider is following one right now. Okay. So, um, if you want to learn more about that, you can. Okay. Well, what do they? I mean, you want to tell us a little bit? Just give us a little bit. What do they do? Do they produce the actual ammonia, or do they produce, no, no, they the, produce the, they the technology produce, that allows they you? They produce to... ammonia production units. Okay. Which are uh, it's like half the size of your average refrigerator. They're stackable, scalable, and. You know, their their idea is um, if you're a farmer, for example, you can completely live off the grid because you can produ you can produce fuel for everything on your on your farm, and you don't have to depend at all on uh, you know on on any other fuel source. And again, you can transfer you can turn this stuff into electricity if need be. So it can actually act like a liquid battery if you've overproduced. And so, yeah, it's very versatile. It's clean. It's overlooked. Ammonia isn't a new ammonia as a fuel is not a new idea. They used it during World War II uh, in Belgium. They used it to uh, power city buses because diesel was just not available. So uh, it's not new. It's a powered NASA rocket planes. The X-15 was uh, an ammonia-powered uh, uh, aircraft. 
broke multiple records. So it's, again, this is one of those situations where the industry has probably suppressed this technology for for decades. Sure. And nobody really cared. You know, we were fine. We were happy with our high-octane, relatively cheap fuel. So everything's changing now. All right. You recently told me that the market is a mass psychology experiment. <laughs> and I, I was going to ask you to elaborate, but I wanted to save it for the, for the, right. for the podcast. I mean, that's... I think that's kind of, I mean, it's obviously, that, that's a throwaway statement. It's, it's true. It is a mass psychology experiment. Uh, the market goes from manic to panic and back again uh, in the space of a day these days just based on headlines. Um, now, what's different today? I think the influx of the new generation of investors is what's really making it, um, you know, mostly an emotional affair. Uh, you have, uh, again, I'm going to sound old, but you have these, uh, you know, young Zoomer investors who uh, they want it and they want it today. They want to be invested. They see stock going up. They want to buy. Their entire perception of investing was built largely around meme stocks, crypto, and, you know, fear of missing out. And so none of those really, like, they don't make sense to the old school sort of, uh, you know, value investors like Warren Buffett, you know, who they analyze everything down to the last nail. They don't do that anymore. It's uh, it's all trend, and when the trend is sell, you get you get the bottom dropping out. And so I think that this generation, like every other generation before it, will age. They will get wiser and more patient. And then, of course, the next generation will come around, and they're going to have their investment apps, and they're going to have their meme stocks, and it's uh, it's going to be a wild ride. I think. Uh, I think in the end. The cool-headed investor who buys and then forgets that they own the asset will probably win out. You know, that's that's just the way of nature. I was I was going to say is is there maybe some opportunity in this mania-driven investing style that we're seeing because to me to me that's where there is profit opportunity in the market is when you have people mispricing things because of their emotional state. Sure. And if you can be that steady person who's kind of looking from the outside and, and viewing the market from a psychological perspective, then you could, you know, well, you it's take pretty easy. I think it's pretty easy to find those opportunities. I mean, we can go back to Tesla as the biggest example. Yeah. It was clearly oversold when it hit $100. I know a lot of people who were, were itching to pull the trigger at 100 bucks, and maybe they did. And, uh, you know, it's overpriced at 400 At 100 bucks. Uh, it was probably oversold, and it was probably oversold by fanboy investors. And so, um, yes, the opportunity is to wait for the bottom and buy in. That, that, would be, that would be my approach. Or, you know, just stay away from meme stocks entirely. So, All right. Anything you're looking forward to for the rest of the year, investing-wise, or anything that kind of scares the crap out of you? Um, well, the unstable interest rates kind of scare the crap out of me because that obviously that has a ripple effect through the market. Uh, what am I looking for personally? I'm looking for... The IPO market to come back. Uh, companies are IPOing at a much lower rate than they were last year and the year before. So I'm looking for that to return. I'm looking for more private equity deal flow. I think to me that would be a sign that, you know, the smart money at the very least has calmed down and is ready to get back in. So um, I would probably look at those as my main, my main, uh, you know, compass. Okay. And any parting advice for uh, our viewers? Uh, Subscribe to Microcap Insider and first call. All right. Alex, good talking to you. Thank you. Good talking to you. Uh, Everyone, like, comment, subscribe, and uh, 
join the Discord, and we'll uh, we'll see you in there. You're in the Discord, right? Of course. Yeah. All right. Cool. You can chat with Alex in the Discord. Click the link. Peace. Oh.